We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. to another edition of Dynasty Cast on Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. Week six is almost in the book. Oh, wait, no, it's in the books. We're recording on Tuesday, so it's in the books. It's been in the past. Uh, as Rafiki would say, forget about it. It's in the past um, or something like that. Um, <laughs> week, week six is in the books, and I am joined. The man giggling about my Rafiki joke is the one, the only, Dan Sanyo. That would be me. We are here. Uh, we had to we had to delay a day because I may or may not have forgotten about said podcast because I was helping a friend move. So uh, nature of the beast as an adult. Some of you aren't there yet. You'll get there. Nathan went through a move recently, which was a lot of fun and very little work. So clearly I wasn't doing anything. Sure. And, you know, it, it is documented that Dan has had several concussions. So, you know, <laughs> you can always blame the concussions. Yep. That's that's I'm more than DeAndre Hopkins at this point. <laughs> there we go. All right. So let's get into the show. A little bit of week week six review and week six or week week seven going into week seven. Keep trade drop, 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 drop. So first, you know, we, we say it every year when there's like one or two trades, but we don't see fantasy relevant trades that often in the NFL. But we have one. It, maybe it's fantasy relevant adjacent or like deep dynasty fantasy relevant. I don't think that don't, uh, we'll get into it, but I don't think this trade is too, too relevant for your average redraft player. Um, but we can talk about that. So first Zach Ertz going to the Arizona Cardinals for a day three pick. What are your initial thoughts here? Uh, you know, we kind of thought that Zach Ertz was, was crumbling. We've, we've seen some, some signs of life, including his last game as an Eagle with, with the, uh, against the Buccaneers last Thursday, but still very much he does not seem to be, you know, 2017, 2018 Zach Ertz anymore, but he is now going to the Arizona Cardinals offense, which did have a hole at the tight end position, but they still have plenty of weapons outside of that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that this is necessarily going to be an indictment on anybody. I do think it's going to stretch targets pretty thin uh, because I can't imagine Zach Ertz was planning on going somewhere where he wasn't going to be used kind of how he's been in Philadelphia, obviously you want to go to a contender, you know, once you, once you're in that your thirties and, and looking for, uh, in his case, another ring, but looking at Arizona and kind of the layout, obviously Kyler Murray has been having a wonderful year. He's been extremely efficient, kind of a, a Russell Wilson esque, if you will, not throwing a ton, 
uh, averaging somewhere in the 34 to 35 range per game. So, you know, not no crazy, crazy numbers really coming out uh, of Arizona. I don't really think he's had a game over 36 attempts yet. So obviously uh, his danger is with his legs as well as with his arm. But when you look at the pass catchers, they have five guys that have between 28 and 38 targets. Now, you also have Max Williams, who's kind of tagging along, catching 16 of 17 targets. And now you throw Zach Ertz into a mix that has DeAndre Hopkins, who has played well, but kind of been under volume than expected. Right. Under, underutilized lower volume. AJ Green, who's probably had about 10 times the amount of targets I would have expected. <laughs> uh, Christian Kirk, kind of a, you know, a, a late rookie contract emergence out of him. Or is this a first year of a second contract? Or is this still rookie no, contract? It's still a rookie contract. So uh, kind of a, a late breakout, if you will, for Christian Kirk. He's he's kind in of a very in a very very liberal offense. very liberal use of the word breakout, but yes. In this, in, yeah, in this offense, it's it because of the low volume, high efficiency of it. I mean, he's right there with Hopkins, just sans touchdowns. Uh, you still have Chase Edmonds who's demanding work. Rookie Rondale Moore, who who's kind of been hot and cold off and on, um, not really getting the usage I think we kind of all had hoped, but they've been leaning on AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins. And by lean, I mean when they do throw it, it's usually to those two guys, uh, or they dump off to their secondary options. So I do expect Ertz to come in and at the very least take every single look Max Williams is gonna get. I think this probably pushes Rondale Moore to the back burner for most of the remainder of the season aside from maybe like a Swiss army knife type role. And I think it hurts chase Edmonds as well. Um, Urs is going to expect to be used. Uh, he, he's not brought in to just block. This offense is going to continue to, to crush it and uh, it's going to be low volume. So targets are going to be thin. I think this is short term, not great for everyone, but I also don't really think that there's really any selling of these weapons because of the way this offense is operated, there's no there's no target funnel in this offense like a lot of offenses have. It's spread it out. Kyler's going to get his, and then everybody else. So, um, I, I think we're at the point that Ertz coming in does not, like, crazily change the offense. Like, you're not going to look at the Cardinals offense before Ertz and the Cardinals offense after Ertz and say, wow, that's a huge difference. And I'm not necessarily saying that that has to be the case. but I don't think he's going to make a huge difference. I think that he's probably going to be a, a low inside in one, high inside in two. And like you said, I think he could dip into some of the red zone looks that Edmonds, Edmonds gets, and he could dip into some of the targets that Rondell Moore gets. But all those, all, all the weapons in the Arizona offense have been cannibalizing each other the whole season. And so the one maybe like, you know, positive in a way is that the Cardinals are going to have are going to have some games where they're they're trailing this year. It just really hasn't happened so far. So, like you said, Kyler's going to have to throw a little bit more than he has been. I'm not sure when that's going to be because they faced like the Rams and some good teams. But you know, they they've they haven't had to throw the ball as much as you know maybe you would have expected. Yeah, his attempts range between 30 and 36 on the season. So they're they're pretty honed in as to how this offense is going to operate. Um, and you know, as much as we think he probably wants to take off and run with the football he's really only running it between five and seven times every game as well. So this offense seems very consistent, very almost staged. Like they know what they're going to do regardless. They're going to stick in these numbers to keep everybody fresh, everybody in it, but no one's going to be overworked or, or be producing big time numbers aside from Kyler. So, I mean, the only thing, I think the only person that gains anything from this is Kyler in a very, very small amount. Like, I don't think he can get any higher than he already is. It, it, it just, yeah, it's going to be more like and you it, mentioned panelization. And I think it does once Ertz is acclimated in the offense, I think it raises his floor. I think his, his weekly okay. floor was, his weekly floor is pretty low in Philly. I think that his weekly floor is probably like four targets for like 50 yards and then the occasional touchdown. Yeah. And you know, he's not a big a- after catch guy. He's a, he's a catch it and fall down or a catch it and go out of bounds or catch it and get tackled. So um, air yards won't be there for Zach Ertz, but he's going to get some meaningful red zone looks. Uh, and obviously he's still, like you said, he's going to be a low end tight end one or, or a high end tight end two, just because it's still Zach Ertz. And he definitely doesn't look like he's completely washed, but he, he's not 2017 Ertz anymore. 
Now, we've been waiting for this trade for four years from the perspective of Dallas Goddard, uh, fantasy managers. I do think it's a bit anticlimactic, like one of those things, like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then it happened. It's like, I haven't seen Dallas Goddard's value go through the roof. I think that he's probably being valued as like a top eight dynasty tight end, being valued as a low-end tight end one in, in redraft in 2021. So... I think part of that is the you know inconsistencies we've seen from the Philly offense. Part of it is the breakout of Devonta Smith. But yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting more more of a hubbub of the Dallas Goddard variety, and maybe we'll see that. But he he was on the COVID list um, this past week, so he might miss the, you know the the Bucks game and maybe the Raiders game. But maybe he's back in week eight against the Lions, and if he you know uses that game to you know turn in like an eight catch for. 89 yards and a touchdown, then we'll start, you know, re-ramping up the Dallas Goddard is a top five dynasty tight end. Well, and, and the thing is, it doesn't take much at this point to be a top five tight end. You, you've you've got your big three, maybe four, and then it's just kind of no man's land. It's starting to shape up a little bit, but we haven't really seen anything from Goddard yet uh, as from, I guess, this year, but this Hurts offense is horrendous. Uh, until they move off of this, I don't think Dallas Goddard is going to be a top five tight end. I, I just don't see it. His targets are going to be minimal because the passing offense is god awful. It's basically Hurts runs the ball or Hurts throws bad passes. Uh, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't think Philly sticks with him that long because Jalen Hurts has utterly destroyed this offense, an offense we saw be somewhat balanced in the past, a balance with Miles Sanders, with horrible wide receivers but a couple of good tight ends and we saw them able to work at least a little bit and that's just not happening right now they're all over the place the least consistent team in in probably the nfl on the offensive side of the ball so i'm not chasing dallas goddard here his price is probably a little bit sunken just because of jalen hurts and how this offense has looked and his limited usage so if you are a big time believer and still think he's got top five upside which he probably does you could probably get them for top 10 prices right now. The issue is, is the tight end landscape is horrendous. So the big name guys are always maintaining their value because everyone has this fear of not having one of the top guys or, or being at a disadvantage positionally, which it's kind of, you can't really play scared like that. If you, if you want them, go get them. Otherwise you're able to backfill really cheaply. I mean, look at like Jared cook, what he's been able to do. You don't need Dallas Goddard. If you can go get Jared cook, I'm not chasing tight end is all I'm saying. All right. Let's move on to the next one, which is we we talked about a trade and now we'll talk about a team that might be on the trading block as well. First, we have Donovan Peoples-Jones. Talk about a breakout. Donovan Peoples-Jones had his breakout game this past week. Um, You know, huge game, a couple touchdowns and, you know, kind of, one of the worries for people's Jones has been, okay, where is, where are the targets going to come from for people's Jones? And, the other part of this scenario is that it seems like, and granted, this has been the case for the last probably, you know, what, basically since the first trade happened, it seems like Odo Beckham is on the trade block. So what are your thoughts on Odo Beckham trade block rumors? And does that, and how much does that help Donovan Peoples-Jones, who went for two, uh, four catches for 101 and two touchdowns last week? It's really weird because Odell Beckham, you know, especially his first couple of years, one of the best wide receivers we've seen in the history of the NFL. And all of a sudden he goes to Cleveland should be an absolute star. He's got Jarvis Landry to work opposite. These guys should be open all day, every day. They're both amazing route runners. And this offense, when Odell is in, is just, it's bad. I, I don't understand how that can even be possible you have no Jarvis Landry right now. Odell should be just feasting. And he said he's not in game shape mentally or physically, which I get. You've been away for injury for some time. Haven't been back. Still haven't really gotten to mesh with Baker Mayfield at this point. Like, I get it. But your natural ability should take over at some point. Like Nathan always says, talent always wins out. Well, one of the most talented wide receivers in the history of the NFL is not winning out. and. To be honest, I think a trade is probably the only way out here. Once Landry comes back from injury, DPJ, a one-time Debbie darling, 
and your guy, Anthony Schwartz, plus Richard Higgins. Yeah, hold on. Pause. What happened to Anthony Schwartz? They were targeting him in week one, and then they just forgot he existed. What happened to that? I, I think they realize he's probably not as good as Nathan Powell thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> he was, they, they, read, they read one of your uh, they read one of your articles and decided that they should stop using him. Um, no, but I, I mean they've got enough kind of it's not overwhelming talent, right? But they have enough talent at the position where this offense has looked good without Odell, and then Odell comes back, and it's just it's a way different. And obviously, no Kareem Hunt, no Nick Chubb, no Jarvis Landry. You're relying on David Njoku and Donovan Peoples-Jones, right? Like, that's that's not really an offense you should want to lean on. But DPJ, we've seen here and there look really good. Again, Debbie Darling, at one point, he looked like he was going to be a, a top wide receiver in his class. And I, I think it was injuries, right, that he it kind of stumbled him yep. along the yeah. way. Plus, plus yeah, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so those combinations of things, you know, that he could still be finally just getting 100 percent from whatever injuries he was dealing with and the mental instabilities of Michigan at the time. Uh, so I think an OBJ move and, and get him somewhere else with a, a quarterback that doesn't need to lean on his wide receivers like Baker Mayfield does. Um, I think it would be good for everybody. But I don't think we see the Cleveland offense take a step back without OBJ and probably take a step forward without him, to be honest. So uh, I think I think Donovan Peoples-Jones has kind of always had it. It's just never really clicked. Uh, I'm not saying go out and trade like a second for him or anything like that. But uh, if he's still on your waiver wires or if somebody's, you know, you got a contender that's looking to move younger players, that's a good person to target, get as a throw-in in a different deal, whatever it happens to be. Um, and, and we'll kind of get to see more when Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, everybody's healthy and they're back. So I think it's everything's kind of just we're static. We're in limbo here. Uh, but I, I do think that this offense has real upside to be uh, at the very least like a top 10 offense in the NFL. And the one frustrating part, I, obviously, I like Peoples Jones and Beckham both ta as talents, but. Baker Mayfield, it seems like every year now, and I'm not a huge injury-prone guy, but Baker Mayfield has these injuries that are bad enough to where he's still playing, but he's not playing well with these injuries because they're back of his case, Keenum. So he, when he plays injured, he doesn't play well. And so, like, I <clears> – <throat> With Baker and his health, I would not be trotting out any Browns weapons saying I'm very confident in in playing him, whether it's Peoples-Jones, Beckham, Landry when they're, he's healthy. Like, I need to see a healthy Baker before I'm really confident starting anybody outside of, you know, super deep lineup leagues. Um, but you, you said you wouldn't pay a second for Peoples-Jones. I think that, you know, that that's the bare minimum it would cost. You know, I'm not saying you, that anyone's going to be asking for a first, but um, I think that any third – uh, or or player that valued around a third is going to be an instant redirect for most people's Jones managers. Yeah, I, I think he's probably more suitable for a bigger deal where he's just kind of an add-in piece. Um, but as a seller, if you're getting offers of a second for DPJ, I'm probably accepting those. Maybe not if it's projected to be 210 to 212, but if it's a mid-second, I'm, I'm probably taking that mid-second over DPJ in, in most cases, unless I'm you know, unless I really feel like he's going to be the next big thing. I think he's got the potential to be usable. I don't really think he's a future star. So not that you're going to get a future star in a second, but chances are that second carries a little more value come next offseason. Yeah. And of course, we always talk about when and especially, you know, during this middle of the season point that. When you trade a player for a pick, it's a player for a pick and the top guy on your waiver wire. Not that the waiver wire is flush with talent in October, but roster spots are valuable in season, and you can't discount that. Absolutely, uh, uh, yeah. There's there's no there's no way or reason to discount those because, like you said, especially if you're a contender or somebody that likes to churn their roster and flip guys, be that top waiver priority or spend that extra fob that you acquired in a trade and use those guys as trade fodder. Uh, that's, that's important, especially for folks that stay on top of their waivers. The opposite of what I do. I just let it ride. 
Uh, I always assume my team's going to be good enough. And then like our Kadoosh League, my whole team dies and then I'm screwed. <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to continue on with the tight end position. Apparently it's a tight end heavy episode today. Uh, we have a guy who in we, we, we do this to ourselves every year. We're like, okay, when is this tight end? When is this young tight end going to break out? When is he going to break out? And the answer is almost always in their third year, <laughs> um, especially with these these high draft capital tight ends like one Mike Gusecki. Mike Gusecki in his last four games, five games, he has three 16-plus uh, point performances, and he is averaging 11.7 points per game so far this year, and that's with a zero in week one. I was slightly worried that the uh, return of Tua would be bad news for Gusecki because he was so successful with Brissett in at quarterback. Not that Brissett is some great quarterback, but it seemed like they had a rapport. It seemed like Brissett was targeting him. Um, but those targets have conti- have continued with Tua at the helm. Tua, uh, you know, Gusecki had eight receptions for 115 yards with Tua as the starting quarterback in London. So, you know, Dolphins are a mess, but it seems like Gusecki is a rock-solid option at the tight end position week in and week out. And that's hard to come by these days. It's it's not easy to find, especially for what was the cost to acquire someone like Mike Gusecki. He's going to be significantly more expensive than he was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. Once you see Tua come back and him perform pretty well, actually. I thought Tua, I, it's the Jags, but I thought Tua looked okay. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit more than okay. So I think that's good for... Gusecki's prospects, uh, you know, uh, looking at the future, obviously they went out and spent big on Jalen Waddell. Uh, we still don't know if Will Fuller's ever going to play because he's a walking injury as it stands. Uh, Devontae Parker still exists. That that may hinder targets at some he's point. He's also but... a walking injury. <laughs> right. So to be honest, short term, Gusecki and Waddle are going to probably run this offense. They, they haven't used Ga- Miles Gaskin at all. and you know, that now with two of back, I think the upside and the floor, you know, you, your floor and ceiling, both are pretty significantly increased for Mike Gusecki and honestly, Jalen Waddle. So uh, to me, I think this puts Gusecki back into that probably top 10 tight end, maybe top eight. Uh, once you get like a Mark Andrews and a Noah Fant in there, along with Dallas Goddard, I think you're kind of rounding out your top eight. And I think Gusecki has got to be in that conversation because over the last couple of years, he's been, I don't want to say consistent. He's, he's been consistently inconsistent. He's had good games and just consistent targets, it seems, but they haven't been the best of targets. He hasn't exactly been playing with Peyton Manning for the last two years. So I, I think, I think short term, we see what Kazeki's really made out of. And I think that he's going to prove to us that he probably is that top 10 tight end. And he's what we kind of all would hope he would be. And hey, it's that fourth year tight end breakout. All right, let's move on to the running back position with a pair of rookies. We'll start off with Ramondre Stevenson had the best game of his career so far with uh, 23 rushing yards, 39 receiving yards and that rushing touchdown. Good for 15 PPR points. Now, we'll also put the caveat that this is the Dallas Cowboys defense, um, which (laughs) You know, it's kind of like playing a little league team, but Ramondre Stevenson, you know, we, we kind of were waiting for him to get this volume, especially, you know, once James White went down, not that he's necessarily a direct competitor with James White, but it's like, okay, how many bodies have to go down in the Patriots backfield for them to give some, some love to Ramondre Stevenson. And now they've done it and we'll see how much that, that, you know, continues in future weeks. Do you think this is a one week thing or do you think that uh, Stevenson's going to continue to get some looks in the next couple of weeks? I think if Damian Harris looked bad and Ramondre Stevenson had a good game, I think we'd be having a different conversation where now we're, we're maybe looking at like a 70 30 or even a 60 40 type split until James White gets back. But Damian Harris looked really good. Ramondre had a game. But Damian Harris looked like what we've wanted Damian Harris to look like. Again, like you mentioned, it's the Dallas Cowboys. But game script would have probably dictated that this is more of a, a passing game for the, the Patriots. And Harris got his. Stevenson only had a few carries, but he scored a couple touchdowns, one through the air, one on the ground. Um, and I just really don't think Ramondre Stevenson's good. Uh, he wasn't. He was wildly mediocre in college. Uh, you know, fourth round pick is, is fine draft capital for a running back. I I just don't necessarily trust the Patriots 
in their running back usage, especially with somebody that theoretically should just be a big banger and they've got him out there catching passes. So I don't, I'm not going to discount the, the fact that there's opportunity to be had. I just don't see him ever taking like a real role in this, in this offense. Uh, at least not something where he's, he's really stealing looks from Damian Harris or when James White is healthy, taking James White's targets or dipping into the tight ends looks or, or anything like that. Uh, I think, you know, best case scenario is like a poor man's Gus Edwards sands the opportunity. I think that's kind of what we have. Yeah, I definitely think it's a, it's a fair comparison with Armando Stevenson, but it's one of those things from, from a lineup perspective, I think we're going to need to see uh, one or two more games of what we saw in uh, last week before we put him into our lineups. And also, if there is somebody that's like, okay, I saw this, and now I think that Stevenson's going to be legitimate, like, you know, 1A, 1B with Harris, I think it's a prime selling opportunity. If you can get, you know, a, a mid-second or early second for Stevenson, I'm hopping on that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's an easy sell. Next, let's go to the Bears rookie who also got an opportunity uh, due to an injury, and that is one Khalil Herbert. What did you make of Herbert's debut? Well, I thought he looked pretty decent against uh, an inconsistent but some sometimes pretty stout Green Bay defense. Um, you know, undersized tight back, he's 5'9", but he's 212. He's, he's very much, to me, like, you know, kind of a, a Tariq Cohen who – is expected back somewhat soon. So I don't think that's going to do all that much for Khalil Herbert here, but um, I did think he looked good and, you know, he was a six round back and that's, you know, at this point draft capital doesn't mean as much, but they are going to have Tariq Cohen who they did spend on to go get uh, coming back. Obviously when David Montgomery returns at whatever point that is, it's his backfield. But I think Herbert is probably going to earn himself definitely short-term playtime. Uh, you know, they don't really have much of an option until Colin's healthy and, and Montgomery's back. But uh, over the last couple of games, he's had 18 and 19 carries uh, for 75 and 97 yards, respectively. Scored a touchdown. Uh, one, I, I think he had a kick return touchdown too, didn't he? Herbert, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I think he's got, like, kind of like Cohen, I think he's got some Swiss Army knife to him where he can play all over the place. And I, I don't necessarily think he's most suitable to be banging between tackles 20 times a game. Um, I, I think if you can get him in space, that's going to be most suitable, a lot like Cohen. It's strange that they have two of these guys. It's almost like Nagy has a type. You know, I think they'll keep him involved. I think they saw enough over the last couple of weeks. You know, the the Raiders' defense isn't really anything to write home about. Um, but the Packers are okay on on defense, and he performed pretty well. Uh, I, I think the the return upside as well, if he continues to do that, especially when Cohen and Montgomery are back, assuming your league allows for those touchdown points. Obviously, most leagues aren't going to have the yardage, but some allow for the touchdowns to count. Uh, I, I think he'll probably stick as at least their kick returner, if not their their punt returner and kick returner. So, um, yeah, I, I want to say uh, there's there's more opportunity and upside here. I just think he's genuinely going to be stuck behind David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen because we've seen Tariq Cohen healthy and he's a difference maker and he will be in starting lineups once he's healthy. Yeah, I, I just think that with the major injuries that uh, Cohen sustained, that I, it's very much like I'll believe it when I see it as far as anything from Cohen. I do think that Montgomery, whenever he is returns from IR, is the RB1 some, you know, and is not scared of any Herbert threat. Um, for those playing at home, there was he doesn't have a kick return touchdown, but he does have a 50-yard kickoff return. So, you know, you know got halfway there for uh, Khalil Herbert. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, he, he's another guy. Anytime I can sell high on these day three running backs after they have a, a, a one big game or one blip on the radar, I'm willing to do it. Herbert, you probably still can't even get that much from, for him. But if I can get a late second for him, I, I'd flip Herbert for that because his floor is so low, both short term and long term, especially once once David Montgomery uh, takes over, retakes over that backfield. All right, let's wrap up our, uh, you know, 
week news discussion um, with asking a very simple question. We talked, we started the show by talking about a Eagles tight end uh, going out west. Now let's talk about um, down south in the, s- the southeastern uh, United States. Um, very important question, Dan Daniel. Is OJ Howard back? Oh, God. He's been back ever since he caught that home run ball at, in, in, uh, at the Rays game. Uh, I want to say yes. I, I just I can't bring myself to get back on this train and be heartbroken again. From a, a profile the, perspective, the, the, he's the tied in five. The tied in five last week for those curious at home. Yeah, thank you, thank you. The weekly tight end five that we desperately needed. Profiling him was he was one of the best tight end prospects we'd ever seen. You know, not not Kyle Pitts, but I mean, he can do absolutely everything, and he just never really got the run. He's his most targets in a single season is 53. Now, has he been healthy the whole time? I don't think so. But also, has he also had a lot of healthy scratches? Yes. So this is one where I just I don't see a clean line to him being that first round pick that he once was seems like 15 years ago. Uh, He's still only 26 or 27, I suppose. Uh, and he's got five partial seasons under his belt. So he doesn't have a lot of a lot of tread off of those tires. He should still be fresh. Is he healthy? Who knows? Is he in Tampa for much longer? Who knows? I would like to see him elsewhere, a place that uses tight ends appropriately, uh, assuming Tom Brady retires before 2040. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know. I want to love OJ Howard, but one game is like, it's most likely just a flash in the pan, but man, does he look good when he's out there playing? Yeah, I think that part of OJ Howard's floor, at least, is connected to the health of Rob Gronkowski. We we've seen enough from Gronk this year that he is very much like as, as long as this injury doesn't like derail his you know resummit back to being a top tight end. I I think that once Gronk is back, Howard is an afterthought in this offense. But while while Gronk is gone, I do think that Howard could be a guy who's getting this four to six catches, you know, 40, 50 yards, and then the occasional touchdown. So not numbers that you're like, wow, I need to go get that guy. But, you know, it's like usable in a best ball or if you're really in a pinch in, at the time position, which like who isn't in a, time, in a pinch at the time position. Um, so, yeah, it, there's he, – he's worth a shot. Like – I'll put it this way. I would trade a third for him in tight end premium. Like, it's not really saying much, but I would. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, obviously the, the Tampa offense is so flush with weapons, especially top weapons. You have you have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, and Rob Gronkowski. Now Leonard Fournette looks like the Leonard Fournette of old. There's not really a place for O.J. Howard, but this next couple of weeks or however long Rob Gronkowski is out could be a showcase for a trade. Um, maybe, you know, maybe he finds a new home somewhere that needs a tight end somewhere where he can be showcased to somewhere like Minnesota who overpaid to get Chris Herndon, who finally showed up last week. You know, there's, there's opportunity elsewhere. I, I just don't see it in Tampa. All right. Let's, before we get into some keep trade, drop, 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 drop. I want to tell you guys about Roto Viz. If you were to look up, uh, O.J. Howard on the Rotoviz box score scout, you would see his comparables of Hayden Hurst, Eric Ebron, and Mike Gusecki. So, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly over here. Um, but you can find awesome stats, whether it be tools like the Rotoviz box score scout, the Game Splits app, the NFL Face app, the AYA app. If you're looking for a sleeper wide receiver, the AYA app is the way to do it. See what what guys are getting, being targeted, what guys are being targeted with deep passes. Use the AYA app to find, find your next breakout wide receiver and which quarterbacks are struggling because of the weapons around them. Make sure you're doing it. Good, uh, use promo code RVRADIO2021 for a 10% discount on your yearly pass. Sports podcast, sports dance kids, sports Frank and Marty. Do what you got to do. RV Radio 2021. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now it's time for a week six slash week seven edition of Keep Trade Drop, 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 Keep Trade Drop. For those uh, new here, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're, we're tracking hundreds of new listeners uh, a week, Dan. It's not the same, you know, 10,000 people every week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, we have, uh, we're going to pit players from the same position. We're going to choose to keep and say, okay, they have a fair value going on. Trade, they're being overvalued right now. Or drop, like, eh, I don't like their value right now. So keep trade drop. Starting with the quarterback position, we have Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, and Tua Tags. Who are you keep trading and dropping? This is interesting. It's a, you know, a couple of guys that are, are I think, very similar. And, and then you have Tua, who is still kind of an unknown. He did look pretty darn good this week. And uh, we, we've seen Cousins kind of up and down this season. Derek Carr kind of in the same boat. I feel like Carr and Cousins are are kind of the same guy. One has legit top-end weapons. The other has a hodgepodge, one guy that can run really fast. I think, I think in this situation, I am going to lean on the potential upside of Tua and I'm going to keep Tua. I didn't think I'd be there because I was touting Cousins and honestly Carr because they're kind of, you know, perennially, they're, they're, they're QB ones. Uh, and Tua is not. Not yet, at least. I, I do think that, that there is a significant ceiling advantage to Tua. And in that scenario, I want to hang on to him for probably a future keep trade drop. Uh, I'm going to probably trade Kirk Cousins. I think because of his weapons, he's going to draw a little bit more than Derek Carr. Uh, and he's scored better ever so slightly, but he is a QB one on the season. I think he's QB nine or 10, something like that in standard quarterback scoring. And then Derek Carr, not too far behind, would be my drop. I, I just don't trust the offense. Uh, as you know, obviously Gruden gone now and, and the limited weapons, you do have Darren Waller. Uh, obviously the the backfield is is pretty stacked, but the the passing game is he's continued to put up decent numbers with shambles for a, a receiving core. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna go keep to a trade Kirk drop car. I am going to echo your statements exactly. I'm I'm keeping Tua for the upside. I'm trading Cousins because he has Justin Jefferson, and that just having Justin Jefferson gives you trade value in itself. Yeah. And Derek Carr has trade value because he has like job security, but even like, does he even have job security now that Gruden's gone? Like what are the Raiders going to do in 2022? More likely than not, Carr is still the starter there in 2022, but he's less likely to be the starter in 2022 now than he was two weeks ago when Gruden was still on like a 10 year contract. Well, and don't forget, I think a couple of, pa- uh, a couple of preseasons or off seasons ago, there was big talk about his car on the move. And, you know, you bring in a new, a new coach, potentially some new front office folks, and they may want to just kind of start over. You know, Derek Carr has been good. He's got kind of the short end of the stick here. I think he does not get the respect that he deserves. And that's coming from someone that was a naysayer for some time. And now I'm kind of realizing that, Hey, he's been, <laughs> he's been pretty consistent NFL quarterback. I, they may get to the point where they're just kind of ready to move on and, and start a, a new phase with these different kinds of weapons that historically the Davis family loves to just go get the really, really fast guys that have hands like feet. So 
Uh, I think you're spot on there. I think there's a better uh, that. Well, there's a definitely a better chance Kirk is starting in Minnesota in 2022 than Carr is starting in Vegas in 2022. Now let's go to the running back position. Keep trade drop Leonard Fournette, Chuba Hubbard, and Jamal Williams. I'll start us off here. I've been a detractor on Leonard Fournette, kind of like how I was a detractor of, of Rob Gronkowski early last year. Obviously, the, 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 there's a the wide range gap, wide age range gap between the two. But people kind of thought both those guys were cooked in early 2020, and they looked, looked it. And now we are in 2021, and both look like new players, look like you know their younger self. Fournette, like he was on his first contract with the, with the Jaguars, and Gronk, like, you know, the first 10 years of his career. So... I'm keeping Leonard Fournette here. I, I think that his upside is extremely high in the Brady offense, you know, and we, we talk about it every year that in, in dynasty, you really only need outside of probably like 10 to 12 running backs. Every other running back is essentially redraft and Leonard Fournette is a top 10 running back the rest of the season. And so if I'm approaching the position as a quote unquote redraft position, it's nice to have a top 10 running back the rest of the way. That's why I'm keeping Leonard Fournette. I will trade Chuba Hubbard. I am a big Chuba Hubbard fan. I think he's very talented. I think that he is going to be a good NFL player. But I think we're being spoiled by the fact that we have a Christian McCaffrey injury right up the gates in his NFL career. McCaffrey, while he's been injured the last two years, he's still going to have a long career, you know, four or five more years at least. And Hubbard is in Carolina for the next four years, essentially. So... I think it's going to be hard to find fantasy relevancy from Chuba Hubbard when McCaffrey's healthy. When is that going to happen is a different story, different question. But I think that fantasy owners like myself who have my fair share of, of Chuba Hubbard on rosters, we're being spoiled by the lack of McCaffrey right now. And then I'll, I'll drop Jamal Williams. I love Jamal Williams more so than ever. But in this scenario, I'd rather have Fournette to keep. And I don't. I still don't think that Williams carries much trade value. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned you're a Chuba Hubbard fan, and uh, I've gotten there. I, I liked him for a little bit in college, kind of didn't really see the things I would like as an NFL running back. And now that he's in the NFL, I'm, I'm seeing the things that I once loved. So I have a take here for you, Nathan. I'm going to keep Chuba Hubbard because I think Chuba Hubbard is going to is about to watch Todd Gurley unfold in front of him. <laughs> oh, jeez. You have three games played in 2020 with mistimed and another soft tissue injury in 2021 for Christian McCaffrey. I'm not saying he is washed, but this injury thing is really quickly becoming real. So I think there's an outside chance that McCaffrey remains either limited or injured for some time. Obviously, they put him on short-term IR but we see him come back clearly not hundred percent and gets re-injured. I'm keeping Hubbard because I genuinely think there's a greater than, you know, like greater than zero chance. He is the starting running back of this team in the somewhat near future. And you have all of the short-term upside as well in an offense that has normally featured Christian McCaffrey over three of the last four years that has been, absolutely explosive dynamic and tons and tons of fantasy points. I am trading Leonard Fournette because of this week. I don't think that's the Leonard Fournette that is going to continue to exist. We've seen these splashes from Fournette. We saw it in the playoffs. We saw it a very little bit last year. He's too inconsistent for me to want to get on that train. And these young players hold value better than guys that are, staring at their second contract. So I'm I'm going to keep Chuba. I'm going to trade Lenny because I think this week is going to carry more value than it has in any week prior. And I think we see Fournette get some some real trade value in the short term because of the offense that he's in, because of the couple of weeks he's had. And I, I just, I, I feel like he's more of a best ball running back than a, than a really truly strong weekly starter. And like you, I love Jamal Williams. I've loved him, you know, since the pre-draft process. And it, it stinks to have to drop him in this situation, but there's no stopping DeAndre Swift at this point. Uh, even Jamal Williams, as great of a football player as he is, he's not a fantasy-relevant guy. He's going to get work, but it's not going to be enough to overtake 
the points that these guys are going to be putting up and, and he's not going to demand the trade value that either of these guys would have. So uh, that's my take. I'm getting Chuba wherever I can get him. Uh, and I'm banking on him being a starter in the NFL within the next couple of years at the, at the latest. All right, let's go to the wide receiver position. We have keep trade drop Mike Williams, Deontay Johnson, and Hollywood Brown. I'll start this one off as well. I'm, I'm kind of making my decision on what the kids call the fly here. I'm going to keep Mike Williams. I'm going to keep Mike Williams. I, I think that he is the best football player of this bunch. I think that he, and you're shaking your head no, and I think you're incorrect. He's the best I'll football have my player. Take. It's okay, you go. I'm going to keep Mike Williams. He has Justin Herbert. He has the best wire receiver. He, he has the best wire receiver. He has the best quarterback, the best quarterback who throws the football um, of the three wire receivers here. So I'm going to keep Mike Williams. I'm not sure Hollywood Brown's trade value has caught up to how good he's been this year. If we're talking about like strict, like, you know, value, not talking about trade value, this doesn't make any sense. I would trade Hollywood Brown. But people haven't caught up on Hollywood Brown yet, so I'm going to drop him, and I'm going to trade Deontay Johnson because people haven't – I mean, he's been better this year from a real football perspective than he was in the previous – in 2020 and 2019. He's been better. But I still don't see him as this elite, you know, wire receiver option that many do, so that's why I will trade him. And then you're dropping – you're dropping Deontay Johnson or you're dropping – No, no, dropping Hollywood, trading Deontay. Yikes. Okay. Um, so that's a take for sure. Hollywood Brown is the best wide receiver here, and it's not even close. From just strictly abilities-wise, not even close. Mike Williams has looked like what we've kind of always wanted Mike Williams to look like this year, but Hollywood Brown has everything. Mike Williams is still kind of being we, – we see it, and then all of a sudden they go back to the old Mike Williams, and then he gets hurt or whatever. They don't throw it to him, or Justin Herbert you know, has a – brain fart and decides to have like a 10 point fantasy week anyways hollywood brown for me in this situation it's not even close uh i'm keeping him i'm trading mike williams because i think at this point he does have the most trade value of these three guys uh and like you said hollywood brown's value has not caught up the stigma behind lamar jackson's throwing ability which at times is definitely questionable but he's been good this year like actually good throwing the football, I, and I would say 95% of the cases. Obviously, quarterbacks are going to have bad looks. They always, you know, everybody makes a bad throw here and there. The volume has been a little bit inconsistent, but Hollywood Brown's play has been consistent. They're getting Rashad Bateman back now. Uh, you'll get Sammy Watkins back in a, uh, eventually, and he's been relevant. I think this is only going to help Hollywood Brown having other weapons around him aside from Mark Andrews. He's going to always be open and always be available. And to finish this all off, I'm dropping Deontay Johnson because not only is the Steelers offense atrocious, Deontay Johnson is just bad. He is a target funnel that cannot catch. That is not a good combination of things, especially when you consider you have a 72-year-old Ben Roethlisberger throwing wiffle balls towards him, and you're expecting someone that doesn't have hands to catch those? Not a great look. Deontay Johnson isn't good. Get him off of your rosters. Trade him for something comparable before people realize that he's actually bad and you're only leaning on volume. All right, let's go to the tight end position. We have keep trade drop Dalton Schultz, Pat Farmuth, and Hunter Henry. Start us off with this last one, Dan. Oh, you know, to start me off with my favorite position, uh, tight end yet again, we've had a lot of tight end this episode. We're going to finish it with tight end just the way we started it. Uh, I, I think for, for me, Pat Farmouth, <laughs> fat prior mouth, uh, Pat Fryermouth has the most upside long-term. I think he has the absolute lowest bare minimum floor you could possibly have. Uh, I, I just, I don't think really anything is going to come to fruition until either a Ben is gone or we see a couple of these wide receivers move on. Uh, you know, James Washington, I think was like a healthy scratch or something this week. So they, they kind of have their priorities in order as far as getting their wide receivers and Najee Harris fed. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily think he's a bad tight end. I just think it's a kind of a, a wrong place, wrong time kind of deal. So uh, to be honest, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably going to trade bad fryer just, just because I think his name carries a little bit as, as well as his 
uh, landing spot. I, I think he's going to get you something. It's not going to be a lot, but it's going to be more than Dalton Schultz, who has been hot and cold. Uh, he, he should probably be getting more love than he's been getting. My issue there is if and when Michael Gallup is healthy, you've got so many mouths in front of you to feed, including Tony Pollard now with Ezekiel Elliott, that there's just really no way for him to be consistently relevant. Now, when you have Mac Jones as your quarterback, there's not a whole lot of ways for Hunter Henry to be as relevant as consistently either. But I think Hunter Henry is the best tight end here. uh, And there's really no battle for targets in New England. They just haven't really gotten him involved up until really this week. So Dalton Schultz has been consistent. I, I just, I think it's more of a Michael Gallup isn't there versus they're trying to showcase Dalton Schultz. So uh, I'm maybe should switch and, and trade Dalton Schultz just because I think if somebody opens up and box score scouts him, they're going to be like, Hey, I mean, this is really good. He's a tight end one. Why, why are people not talking about Dalton Schultz more and be willing to trade probably more than any of these guys. So he's going to be my trade. Now, Friar going to be my drop and I'm going to keep Hunter Henry just because I, I do think that that New England system is is going to prop up the tight end at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, for me, I think the easy easiest decision here is actually to drop Hunter Henry. We've seen what we've seen from Hunter Henry. We know what he is. He's not going to be too exciting. He's not going to be a league-winning tight end for you. He's going to be – I've said it all, all day long. There's like 18 different low-end tight end one, high-end tight end twos, and Hunter Henry is one of them. So – He's the least exciting one here, so I'm, I'm just going to avoid him, and I'm going to drop him from this scenario. And so now do I want to keep or trade Schultz versus Fryermuth? You said it. Schultz has the highest chance of being the flash in the pan, the highest chance of being the short-term asset, and Fryermuth has a very little chance of being a short-term asset, but he has a very good chance of being a long-term one. So I'm going to keep Fryermuth and try and get the points later on. I'll try and, you know, mix in a Mo Cox or something in the meantime to, 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 you know, to start on a weekly basis. But I think Fryermuth is a, you know, possibly a top six, top seven tight end in future future years. So I'll keep the potential upside of, of Fryermuth. I'll drop the boredom of Hunter Henry and I will trade Schultz as he has averaging 14.1 PPR points per game. Pretty good for a tight end at this point in the season. Yeah, honestly, surprising to look at those scores and, and really nobody is talking about it. And I do think it's the Michael Gallup situation. I think that's just kind of keeping everyone at bay. but. If you can get him for you know, essentially a roster spot, I think Dalton Schultz is probably a really nice buy. I know that's not part of the game, but looking at these numbers and, and seeing what, honestly what he's been able to do on the field pretty quietly, uh, that, that's that's free points. All righty, that should wrap us up. This is uh, longer than normal uh, in-season episode of the Night Street Cast, so hope you enjoyed us in your ear holes. Uh, any last words, Dan? Nope, just hit him with the walkout. Kadush! <coughs> the Tasmanian Devil? Here we go.